Well, good morning. Good to be here with you this morning. If you're visiting or new, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at Three Lake Evangelical Free Church. It's good to have you with us here this morning. If you are visiting or new, just a little bit about our church. Kind of our main, our desire, our, our mission is to be a community that strives to reach people with the gospel of Jesus and then to grow to be like Christ and to serve other people. And you'll actually hear quite a bit about more about that in the in the sermon, but just a couple a couple ways we can do each of those things, right? So in terms of growing to be like Jesus, like one of the ways we want to encourage you to do that is by becoming a member here if you have um, been regularly attending here. And so we will have a membership class on August fourteenth from nine to twelve. So in two weeks on a Saturday. And coming to that class does not commit you to anything. It does not require you to be Come a member, but it's a way to just learn more about the church and what membership is and to consider that. Also, in terms of like ways you can serve the church, one, one need we have is for people who are, want to help set up coffee, um, in the morning. So Chuck and Josie Bodie have been doing a great job with that and they're kind of overseeing that, but they would love people to come alongside them and just do that on a couple of Sunday mornings. They can kind of teach you what's required for that, but it's a way just to serve to serve the church. And then um, on, on August 15th, so in two weeks, we will, we will gather here, we'll worship here in this building, and then after the service, we will head down to, to the lake, to Maple Lake, and we will have a couple baptisms that Sunday morning, and also have a, follow, a picnic following those baptisms. And so if you are also interested in being baptized, um, we would love to have you be part of it. You can contact me. My, my email is in the bulletin, um, or you can contact the church office, and we can talk more about what baptism all entails. Okay. And again, one of our kind of things we really want to hit on is, is reaching people with the gospel as well. And so to that end, like one of the things we value is supporting missionaries and hearing about missionaries and the work that they do. And so this morning we have Katie Lowry with us. I'm going to invite to come up and share a little bit about what they're doing. So Katie and her husband, Will, are in the process of going to Birmingham, England, and so I'm going to let her tell you a little bit about, about that. Good morning. Uh, my husband and I are returning to the United Kingdom to serve the Lord in Birmingham, England. Um, I love to be able to sing uh, Build Your Kingdom here. Uh, with y'all. My son went through a strong run collective phase while we were living in the UK, and so that became a prayer uh, for the city we were living in and and for that community. Um, So that was beautiful to share that with you. Um, I don't know about you, I didn't really ever think of England as a missions field. Um, I had maybe some idea that, that Europe wasn't as Christian as it used to be, But in my head, I had people want to go to the UK, like people go there to travel. They have high speed Internet. And I still had this idea of missions was to places really far away and really remote and requiring lots of years of language school and and things of that sort. Um, And so rather than sharing a bunch of statistics, I am going to have a video which will just yeah have a little bit more information. um, And then I will share more about what we'll be doing in the city. Birmingham is the UK's 
second city. So after London, there's Birmingham. Birmingham is a, a very creative place overall. We have a thriving scene in uh, graphic design, filmmaking, music. It's a city that's kind of reinvented itself in certain ways as a blue-collar, working-class city. It's not the kind of city that people gravitated towards, but now um, it's an entrepreneurial city, and I've seen a lot of changes, really, in the last 20 years in Birmingham. It's become an increasingly diverse city. So we would now think that below the age of 30, over half of our population have come from countries outside of the UK. It's increasingly post-Christian and secular, but it's also increasingly religiously diverse. One-fifth of the population is Muslim. I think we kind of estimate that it's probably 3%-ish uh, people who would describe themselves as church-going Christians. So the task is huge for us to try and sort of reach this city afresh with the good news of Jesus. Many people, they're simply not asking questions about God at all. So we're starting way, way further back in people's understanding about God, interest in spiritual things. And we're seeing people who, if they're going to look anywhere for a spiritual side to life, would look anywhere but back to Christianity. They're open to all different forms of spirituality. But Christianity is the one thing that has been, in their eyes, tried and rejected. But I think now, the next generation are perhaps more open than their parents to thinking about Christian things because they've never even tried Christianity. They don't really know very much about it. And I think there's a receptiveness. So if young people come who are enthusiastic about their faith and want to share it, I think we're finding that there are now opportunities that there haven't been maybe even a generation ago to share your faith. And what's really interesting is that as Americans coming to the UK, we've found that the British people are much more ready perhaps to listen to them as a sign of respect to them, uh, maybe than they are to us. So they can be bold in sharing their faith with people that they're meeting. There are many spiritually hungry in Birmingham, but it needs people who are really going to come alongside them to find them and to share Jesus in a way they can understand um, and be warmed to, I suppose. If you're thinking about cross-cultural ministry, if you're thinking about kind of the challenges of how to minister in a post-Christian context, come to Birmingham. Birmingham is the place to be. It offers all of those challenges, but also it offers a network of churches and support. What's really required of you is to come with uh, a heart that is ready to learn, a spirit of adventure, a natural curiosity for a culture that's different from your own, and a sense of fun too. And if you're any of those things, we'd love to have you come and work alongside us in Birmingham. So yeah, as you may have um, heard, there's a lot of really unique things about Birmingham in this season. Um, there's 187 different nationalities represented in this city, a huge amount of young people, um, and massive universities, which means that people from more closed countries are coming to the UK, coming to Birmingham in particular, and have the opportunity to hear the gospel when they wouldn't be able to in their home country. Um, we're really excited because there's a group of British Christians who've looked at these, the statistics and said we can either die alone um, as separate churches or separate uh, denominations or we can work together. And so as you saw, some of the pastors there, uh, there's, a, there's a strong sense of their drive to reach 
their city for Christ. So we're really excited to partner alongside them through bringing more interns, through bringing more apprentices, and then also we'll be serving with a local church in a discipleship role. Um, so two things in particular. Um, a lot of the smaller church plants are really on mission, are really excited, are really focused on reaching their community, but that can leave just some difficulties in making sure that, that Christians are strong, um, that they're being cared for well, that they're being discipled, and, and they're growing in their faith. Um, so specifically for me, um, during my time there, I invested heavily into to two young women who are the first Christians in their family, the only Christians in their family, and so as they're, they're in their mid-20s, and doing life, they don't have examples to draw on from. Um, this is all new to them in a lot of ways. They, they became Christians younger um, in their stories, but still just don't have, there's a lot they're learning on the fly. Um, and so one in particular, it was opportunity to help her develop her skills in, in discipleship and in being a leader in the church, um, because that's something that was, was fairly new to her. Um, we're super excited to stand in the gap in that way. Also, as the, as the video mentioned, interns and apprentices are super helpful, super necessary. Um, there's a unique role that Americans can play, um, both in that Brits will listen in a different way and respond, and also in preparing people who are heading into ministry in the States um, by gaining ministry experience in an incredibly diverse society and in a more post-Christian environment. Um, yeah, there's a couple different ways to get involved. Um, my family and I are raising support, uh, so prayer and finances are a huge need for us. Um, also, if you are all interested in going, I'd love to connect. I will say it is not just for young adults. Um, we've had people do the two-year program that have come as a couple, have come with young kids, have come with school-age kids, um, have come while collecting their pensions, which means that their support raising goes quicker. Um, so any of those things, there's not, yeah, if you have summers free because of your work schedule, um, yeah, it's not just, just limited to, um, to young adults. Um, I have a sign-up sheet in the back. I would love to connect just yeah, if you'd like any more information, like to be added to our prayer newsletter, any of those things, um, would love to, to connect with y'all and share more. That's it. One of the things that, like, when I first heard their story that really just excited me was, as Katie said, right, that it's this broader idea of, like, what missions and reaching people can be. And so I think it's valuable for all of us to hear, like, there's mission work, there's reaching people with the gospel going on in all different places throughout the world, not just here and not just in what we typically think of as those hard-to-reach kind of mission fields, but they're all over the place. There's needs and there's ways that we can reach people with the gospel. And so it's just a, an exciting thing to hear. I encourage you to yeah, talk to Katie after the service and hear more about what's going on there. Will you, will you pray with me? Father, we come and we thank you for the work you're doing through people like Katie and Will and through missionaries throughout the world to see your kingdom advance and to see your kingdom be built um, in all different parts of the world and all different ways. We just thank you for people who have willingly given of 
time and resources and comforts to go to places like that and to, to bring about your, your purposes in those areas. And we pray, pray for them as they continue to seek to raise support and to go for you and give them encouragement and um, yeah, the ability to do what they need to do and to do it well. God, pray for, for each of us now as we come and as we prepare our heart to, again, continue in worshiping, that you would quiet our minds, quiet our hearts, that we could focus on you, that we would bring you glory this morning as we sing and as we hear your word. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you to stand again as we continue in worship. We're going to spend a few moments here just really dwelling on the name of God, the name of Jesus, the very core of what our faith is. So as you sing these songs, you know, just think about why we're really, why we're here this morning, what church is. It's not just a place to check off the list on a Sunday, but it's a place to come and worship.
seated for a minute here. So I wanted to share with you, this is this slide up here is from a few weeks ago. Um, It's a drone photo up on Lake Superior, and that little white dot out there is my daughter paddleboarding. So we happened to come um, on a day to Lake Superior where it was just super flat, calm, and clear waters. And it was a day like we just, it took your breath away, almost like you're out there, and I, I just couldn't get over it. I kept going, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, you know, and it was just so beautiful. And for me, a lot of the time, and you'll have to pardon my voice here, it's getting crackly, but um, a lot of the time when I'm up in the Upper Peninsula and I go to the Porky Mountains or I'm hiking, I just feel an absolute sense of peace. Like that is where something happens and I feel, I feel at rest, at peace. I feel in awe. And I never had a word for it. I would just say, I'm, I, this is my place. This is the place that makes me happy. And that was one of those days. It was a day where I just, everything kind of slipped away. I felt in awe of what I was seeing up there. I get, I get home and I'm, I'm texting Ann Epler about this. And I'm sending her these pictures. I'm like, Ann, you should have been there. You know, it was just this gorgeous day. And, and later that evening, she sent me um, this link to a blog. And I want to read part of it for you because it really put into words that feeling that I always feel and I never really could name it she sent me a blog at this woman's writing about how difficult the last year has been and how there's so much healing to do and how she was finding healing basically in nature and realizing that you know being out where we're seeing God's creation is healing and she references a few um, studies that were done where people were asked to name to identify emotions that they felt being outside and then they kind of matched it to heal the healing process. And they found that awe, awe was the thing that, that held the most healing. Um, and in this, it says, in both studies, awe was the only element that predicted whether people would feel less stressed and more healed. That the ache of life heals when we are awed by God. Wherever the ache of life meets more of the awe of God, we are more healed. More than any other emotion, what heals us is the awe of God. And what is awe really but the glory of God? And that's what the research undeniably indicates. God's glory undeniably heals us. Our story finds healing when we're awed by God's glory. In a study looking at the link between nature and cancer, People who took two long walks in nature over two consecutive days had an increase in their cancer-fighting cells. In addition, the, level, the activity levels of the cells remained high for a month. These studies highlight the numerous ways that simply getting outdoors will benefit us psychologically and physically. That is what orients us through life. It is the glory of God that is part of gloriously healing us. <clears throat> I'm going to just kind of scroll down here. So, um... Believers have a word for a way of life, a way. Um, so, like the Japanese call this like forest bathing, where they're out in the the forest and they just let, they soak it in and allow that to kind of affect them. And the author goes on to say, but believers can have a way of life, a way of being in the world, what I call glory soaking. Daily glory soaks cleanse the mind so the heart can fill with thanks. Our tendency to brood, referred to by cognitive scientists as morbid rumination, how many of us do that? often makes us focus on the negative aspects of our life and can lead to anxiety and depression. Scientist and researcher Bratman and his colleagues found that the participants who walked in the quieter, wooded portions of a campus had lower activity in the brooding portion of their brains. 
Nature walkers showed cognitive benefits, including an increase in working memory performance. Adoration of God's glory short circuits rumination of our problems. How amazing is that? Like just being out there, that that idea of being out there and stopping everything and thinking and, and being in awe, that is we're seeing God and that is that is that feeling that I couldn't name. That's what it was. It's being in awe of God's glory in everything that He has created. And this idea that day switched things for me a little bit. To know that 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 is what it was was just a, a, a moment that changed things for me. So I want to kind of like follow that up with just a moment of praising God with it is well with my soul. If you could stand and sing this last song with us.
Father, we thank you. We thank you for the places where we see you, for the healing that you're giving us. We pray that you watch over us, be with us today in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So when I was in, in high school, I took a, a driver's ed class through <clears throat> through my high school. I could take it a part of like a part of the curriculum, part of my class, and I realized that's becoming more and more uncommon. But it was nice, right, to be able to take the class in school. Right? As I talk to talk to friends who have kids who are reaching driving age now, like it's kind of crazy how much time outside of school they have to put in, and how much money the classes cost in order to learn how to drive. But I was fortunate that I got to take it in school, and our teacher, his name was Mr. Greenwald. In addition to teaching driver Zed, he also taught math. And so, as a math teacher, and in the classroom with the driver dead teacher, he was a, a delightful man. Like, I remember sitting in a class, like laughing, getting engaged. Like, he was a good classroom teacher. Like, I, I enjoyed him. And so that's the picture I had in my head of him when I stayed after school one day for my first what we call behind the wheel, right? Where you actually like got in the car with the teacher and like went out for for a drive. So it's my first time actually going out practicing with the teacher. And let me tell you, the Mr. Grunewald who was so joyful and happy as a classroom teacher like, could not have been more different than the Mr. Grunewald who sat beside me in the car. Like, he was he was tense, he was a little harsh, he yelled a couple times, like it was one of the more unpleasant experiences of my life, driving through that. And like after that first time, like I think we had to do like five behind-the-wheel sessions, maybe. And after the first one, I just came to dread the rest of these behind-the-wheel sessions. Right? Like, there was one time, I remember I, like, I put a piece of gum in my mouth before a behind-the-wheel session, and I like did the whole thing, and I got out of the car, and like the gum had like turned a paste and it like glued to my lips. Like... Apparently, I was so nervous and had chewed so hard, like I had destroyed the structural integrity of this gum. Like, like I have not done that before or since. Like, that was a unique experience. That's how stressed I was. And, like, I, so I just, I did not like those behind-the-wheel sessions. And I remember wondering why Mr. Grunewald was so different in the car than he was in the classroom. But, like, looking back now, like, I understand like, like I get tense now, like riding in the riding at the passenger, like with fully trained, competent adult drivers. Like, I don't like being a passenger even now. Like, I can't imagine what it must do to your nerve to be sitting beside 15-year-olds day after day, like teaching them how to drive. Like it would have driven me crazy. Like, and here's the here's the really crazy thing. Right? Not only was Mr. Grunwald my driver dead teacher. He was my dad's driver's dead teacher. He had been doing this for 30 some odd years by the time he got to me. Like, no wonder his nerves were fried. Like, 30 years of sitting beside a 15-year-old teaching them how to drive. I can't believe he was still alive. But all this raises the bigger question. Like, why do we put kids or driver's dead teachers through this experience at all? Like, why do we make students have behind-the-wheel sessions with trained teachers? Like, why not just have them read a bunch of books, watch a lot of movies about driving, like, 
Maybe they can play a few video games or they drive a car around. Like, why do we have them do all this? And I ask those questions rhetorically. Like, I hope the answer is obvious. Like, there are some things you need to learn by doing. It's not enough to just have a theoretical knowledge of something. If we just taught kids theoretically how to drive and sent them out, like, that wouldn't be good for anybody. You have to learn by doing. And in today's passage, like, Jesus is going to give the apostles some kind of on-the-job training. Up to this point in the book of Luke, like, like we've seen the apostles mostly watching Jesus. They've seen Jesus teach, and they've seen Jesus cast out demons, and they've seen Jesus heal, and they've seen Jesus raise the dead. But by and large, they haven't really participated themselves. But now Jesus is going to start the process of, of intentionally preparing them to carry on his mission after he is gone. This kind of marks the turning point in Luke where the focus goes from what Jesus did and how Jesus interacted with the crowds to being about how Jesus equips the disciples to prepare for life after his death. In order to do that, the, the apostles have to learn by doing. So Jesus, in this passage, is going to send them out to get some first-hand experience. We're in Luke chapter 9. This morning I'm going to read verses 1 through 9. This is what Luke says. When Jesus called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey, no staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If, you, if people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. Now Herod the Tetrarch heard about all that was going on, and he was perplexed, because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead, others that Elijah had appeared, and still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this? I, ha- I hear such things about. And he tried to see him. If I could, if I could summarize kind of the overall main point of this passage in a way that like, hopefully sounds familiar, I would, I would summarize it this way. Like, Jesus helps us grow to be like him so that we can reach people with the gospel and serve them. And the reason I say those words hopefully sound familiar, at least if you're a, a regular attender here, is that they sound very similar to our mission statement, which is, we are a community that strives to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ, grow to be like Christ, and serve others. And so now here, here's my fear. Right? That you're going to see the similarity between what I'm saying is the main point of this passage and our mission statement, and you're going to think... I'm just trying to force this passage to agree with our mission statement. Right? Like, like, maybe you're less cynical than I am, right? but if I was at some other church and I saw something like this, my first thought would be, frankly, like, they're trying to use the Bible to support what they want to do. Right? He's just trying to make the Bible say what he wants it to say. And like, I don't, so my goal this morning is to convince you that that's not what I'm doing. Right? And I go with that, like, 
you'll be convinced after we go through this passage that like, this statement is a real accurate representation of what Luke is trying to teach us in this passage. And therefore, like, I hope we'll see that like, our mission statement here, right, it is what it is, not because we just like the way it sounds, not because it makes us feel good to say it, not because it's just what some group decided we should be doing. Right? Like Our mission statement is what it is because we believe it represents what God calls us to do as we follow Jesus. And we see it in passages like Luke 9, 1-9. through 9. And so this morning, I want to just kind of look at the three kind of key words in our mission statement, which are reach, grow, and serve, and then see what this passage has to teach us about each one of them. Really different than this passage, the word kind of come up in a little bit different order. So we're going to start with the word grow. And in this passage, we see Jesus equipping the apostles to grow to be more like him. Again, verse 1 says, When Jesus had called the twelve together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. Let's just remember for a second what happened in Luke chapter 8. Jesus and the apostles had traveled across the Sea of Galilee where they had encountered a demon-possessed man and Jesus had cast out that man's demons and restored him. And then they returned to the other side of the Sea of Galilee where Jesus had healed a woman who had suffered from bleeding for 12 years and then raised a little girl from the dead. Right, so in Luke chapter 8, Jesus had displayed his power and his authority to drive out demons and to cure diseases. And now, this tells us that he's given the apostles the power to do the same things. In other words, Jesus is helping the apostles, equipping the apostles to grow to be like him. And we need to be a little bit careful here. And recognize that like, our experience may not be exactly the same as the apostles. In my head, like, I hear apostles and I hear disciples and I just like lump them together in one Group, right? But the apostles are a little bit special. Like they're the twelve chosen followers of Jesus. In the next chapter, in Luke 10, Jesus will send out 72 disciples, like followers of him. And we'll see in that passage that their experience, I think, is closer to what we should expect of ourselves today. But the apostles, on the other hand, like they're given a unique role in advancing the kingdom of God and establishing the church after Jesus' death. They get some unique ability to do some things. All that to say, while I believe that God does still at times choose to work through people today to miraculously heal, I don't think we should expect it as often as it happens for the apostles here in this passage. Nevertheless, even though Jesus may not give us the same ability to heal, he is still in the process of helping us to grow to be like him. In 1 Corinthians, Paul puts it this way, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, from one degree of glory to another. We are being transformed from one degree to the next, more and more, into the image of Jesus. In this life, after we have trusted in Jesus, our life is a process of becoming more and more like him, one step at a time. The Bible calls this sanctification. 
As we, as we continue in our Christian life, we should see a pattern where we continually get more and more like Jesus. We should see ourselves sinning less and obeying God more. But if we could, like, make a graph of kind of our process of becoming more and more like Christ, it would be tempting to have a graph that was, like, straight up and to the right, like, perfectly linear up. And, like, that's not how the Christian life works. Like, we're not just constantly make progress one step at a time. But if we graph it, it would be more, like, up and down and up and down and, like, there'd be periods of fast growth, and there'd also be places where we're not growing so much, maybe even seemingly going backwards a little bit. But the overall trend of that graph right, should be more and more like Jesus. We may have hard seasons, we may have bad days, but overall the general course of our life should see us becoming more and more like Jesus. In the book of Romans, Paul writes one of everyone's favorite verses. When he says, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Oh, God works things for my good. Like, how how great is that? But the next verse is so important. Because the next verse defines what good is. He defines what the good he's working towards is. And he says in that next verse, For those whom he foreknew... He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Like, when God works things together for our good, it is not the same thing as working things together for our happiness. It's not the same thing as for our prosperity or for our comfort. The good that God works all things toward is to conform us into the image of Jesus. God is... God's good for us is helping us to grow to be like Christ. And that definition of good is often very different from the world's definition of good. That the world's picture of success and good is often lots of money and having a nice house and having lots of power and influence and being well-liked. Jesus, who we're being conformed into, was homeless. And he preached that the last shall be first. And he was rejected by large swaths of the culture, including his own family for a time. Now that doesn't mean that following Jesus will, will automatically cause you to lose your home or your job or to turn your family against you. But it does mean right, that success and good will look very different when you are following Jesus than when you are chasing the values of the world. And so the question becomes, like, what is more valuable to you? Like, what do you desire more? Becoming more and more like Jesus or chasing the values of the world? And look, like, let's, let's not kid ourselves. Right? It's really easy to sit here like, in church of all places and say, like, of course being like Jesus is more important. Right? And like, you can say that and you can, like, sitting here right now, really believe that. Like, not even like you're just kind of tricking yourself, but like really believe it. But the older I get, the easier I find it is to like, or the more I realize like how good I am at lying to myself. Like, I can convince myself of something in theory, but then when it comes time to put that theory into practice, like when the rubber meets the road, I can really fail to actually take that action. 
Like maybe the clearest example for me is when it comes to, to eating right. Like, like I'm planning to run a couple half marathons coming up, and my goal is to run the last one in under two hours. So I've run a, I've run a couple half marathons before, and they've been like, I finished in like two hours and four minutes and two hours and three minutes or something like that. Like I've been so close to breaking that two-hour mark. And there are studies that say that for every pound you lose, all else being equal, you'll run one and a half seconds per mile faster than you would without it. Right? So, like, so in addition to hopefully being in better shape than my previous half marathons, like I've just been telling myself, like, if I could just be 10 pounds lighter, right? like, that, that by itself is 15 seconds per mile. Right? Like, and that's like 3 minutes and 15 seconds over the course of a half marathon, like, which would really help me reach my goal of breaking two hours. And look, and it's a general rule in normal life, like I don't eat great. I eat a lot of junk. So I just like, I tell myself all the time, like, if you would just cut back on the junk you eat, like, you could lose that weight. It'll make hitting that weight a lot easier. Just like, don't eat so much junk. Right? And like, especially like when I'm in the middle of a like, training run and I'm feeling a little weighed down, I like convince myself, like, yeah, starting today, like, I'm done with the junk food. Like, I'm going to lose this weight. It's going to be so much easier to run. It's going to feel great. It's going to be awesome. And like, I believe myself every time. <laughs> it doesn't sound that hard in theory. Like, but then I get somewhere and there's like, a plate of cookies sitting out, right? And putting theory into practice suddenly gets a lot harder. Right? Or we're having pizza for supper, and I've, I've eaten more than I need for my physical needs, but there's still like three pieces sitting there, and that's good pizza, you don't have to go to waste. And like, putting theory into practice gets much harder. The same thing is true in, in the Christian life. It can be really easy right, to, to sit here right now and convince ourselves that being like Jesus is better than chasing the values of the world. And believe it every time if you sit here. But then when, when a situation arises where you really put that to the test, where the rubber really hits the road, the question becomes, how do you do with that? Are you more concerned with growing to be like Christ or in chasing the values of the world when there's a real opportunity in front of you to chase the values of the world. <clears throat> One way you can kind of test yourself in that is by looking at how you use your time and your money and your resources. Do you use your time and money and possessions for, for selfish motives? Do you use them to chase after the values of the world? Or do you use them to do the two things that Jesus calls us to do here in this passage? Just to reach people with the gospel and to serve people. Look again at verse 2. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus sends out the apostles to do two things. Proclaim the kingdom, heal the sick. In other words, to, to meet both the spiritual needs and the physical needs of people they come in contact with. At first they're called to proclaim the kingdom of God. And this idea of proclaiming the kingdom of God is, is synonymous in the Bible with like, sharing the gospel. In fact, we can see that in verse 6. Right? After Jesus gets a few more instructions, right? Jesus says, 
or Luke writes, they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. You can see the parallel between verse 2 and verse 6. Proclaiming the kingdom and proclaiming the good news or the gospel is the same thing. And so one of the things that Jesus sends the apostles out to do is to reach people with the gospel, to care for their spiritual needs. He sends them to go about sharing the message that people need to confess their sins and to turn away from their sin and to turn to God and to tell them that if they do that, that God is able to forgive their sins. Now for the apostles, it's a bit of an interesting time to be given this task because like, they didn't know the end of Jesus' story. Like, they didn't know how Jesus would go to the cross and pay the penalty for sins on the cross. But they knew by this point that, that God was doing something powerful through Jesus. They knew that Jesus was preaching a way for like relationship with God to be restored. But they didn't know the exact way that God would go about making that possible. But for us, on this side of the cross, we know what God has done for us in Jesus. We know the scope of the gospel. We know that we are sinners, that because of our sin we have broken our relationship with God and we deserve death and to spend eternity separated from Him. But we also know that Jesus came and He lived a sinless life and therefore He didn't deserve to die. But even though He didn't deserve to die, He was put to death on a cross. And on the cross, He, he took our place. He died the death that we deserved that if we believe in Him, we can have eternal life. And we can live forever with God in the new heavens and the new earth and we're restored to a right and joyful relationship with God. So this attitude is we know that that is the gospel we are sent out to proclaim, to reach people with. So if you are here this morning and that's new for you, you haven't heard that before, you haven't trusted in Jesus, like first and foremost, I just invite you to to place your faith in Jesus. But then, for those of us who have accepted that truth, part of what it means to follow Jesus is to share that good news with other people. The greatest need any of us has is to have our eternal condition secured. And once we know that our eternal condition is secure, like, it, there is no greater responsibility or joy than to go out and just help other people know that their eternal destiny is secure as well. That's why Jesus sends the apostles out here. That is why each of the, each of the Gospels ends with Jesus giving his disciples the Great Commission, where he says something like, Go make disciples of all nations. That's why the book of Acts is all about the Gospel advancing and growing and expanding throughout the world. That's why people like Katie and Will, who we heard from this morning, and other missionaries give up their comfort and everything that they are familiar with to travel across the world and to tell people about Jesus. Christians throughout history have been so convinced of the importance of reaching people with the gospel that they've given their life for it. And those are, those are great stories. Those are powerful stories. And we should hear them. But if we're not careful, those stories can also kind of put up a barrier for many of us when it comes to doing our part to reach people with the gospel. Because right? we hear those stories, 
and we think, I can't do that. Like, we can hear, hear those stories of people doing great things to reach people with the gospel. We can think, well, that's the way to reach people with the gospel. And I, I can't do that, and so then I can't play my part. But that isn't the case. We need missionaries who are willing to go to hard places. But that isn't the only way to reach people with the gospel. There are people who are, who are our neighbors and our co-workers and our friends and our family members and our community members who those people need to be reached with the gospel just as much as people in England or India or China or Iran. And so for you... For me, like, reaching people with the gospel may not look like giving up all we own and moving across an ocean. It may just be walking across the street to build a friendship with a neighbor and that the opportunity allows to, to share with them about how God has worked in your life. For you, like, reaching people with the gospel may mean being a faithful employee at your job and building friendships and relationships there so that when a coworker goes through a hard time. Like you can offer hope that is found in Jesus. Like for you, like reaching people with the gospel may mean like intentionally taking time and investing in your own children's spiritual lives to make sure they know who Jesus is. Reaching people with the gospel will look different for each of us here. But each of us is called to play a role in reaching people with the gospel. One of the most effective things we can do to reach people with the gospel is to pair our desire to reach with a willingness to serve other people. The apostles in the passage went out, not only proclaiming the gospel, but also healing the sick. There was a dual concern for both the spiritual needs and the physical needs of the people the apostles encountered. And as I said earlier, we may not be able to physically heal in miraculous ways that the apostles could. Or you can still serve others and meet physical needs. Like maybe that means providing a meal for someone going through a hard time. Maybe it means providing childcare for a young family in need. Maybe it means doing yard work for an elderly neighbor, someone who needs a little extra help. But there are innumerable ways that we can serve other people. We can meet their needs. And one of the things that strikes me about this passage is how, how closely linked reaching and serving are. And I feel like a lot of times we miss that connection. There are, there are a lot of groups, a lot of charities that focus on meeting physical needs but have little or nothing to say about spiritual needs. Now, on the other hand, like we can be so focused on sharing the gospel that we neglect meeting physical needs. That can only hurt our witness to the gospel. Like it is true that a hungry person's greatest need is knowing Jesus. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't also help with their hunger. As we seek to grow to be more like Jesus, we should be on the lookout for opportunities with the people around us to reach people with the gospel and to serve them. I think we saw, we saw all of this kind of in action during VBS this past week. If you weren't here or weren't a part of that, we had more than 30 kids here 
part of our Vacation Bible School. We have lots of people volunteering. And some of the kids who are here had already placed their faith in Jesus. And for them, like hearing the Bible lessons and being around their leaders and singing the songs and memorizing a verse was a chance to grow to be more and more like Jesus. Right? They got to learn what it meant to, what it looked like to be like Jesus. But there were other kids here right, who hadn't trusted Jesus. And so VBS was an opportunity for everyone involved, everyone serving, everyone volunteering to reach kids with the gospel. Right? If you volunteered, whether you were a group leader or help with security or whatever, like whatever you did, whatever role you played, help with crafts, like all of that served to help reach kids with the gospel. Right? And everyone who volunteered was part of serving these kids and the families who were involved well. Right? Like by creating a, a fun and safe environment where kids could sing songs and do crafts and eat snacks and, and play games. Like there was a lot of serving going on, meeting needs for those kids to have a safe, fun environment and also for those parents to not to worry about their kids for a little bit. And like it's just a, a way to serve. And so like I was just amazed by the amount of service that went on this past week. Not to mention the like over $400 that was raised to provide clean drinking water for people in need. Like, like VBS was just a, a testimony to seeing this passage and our mission statement as a church lived out. As we, as we live out this passage, we live out our mission statement, it will draw attention. Like it certainly did for the apostles. They drew it the attention of, of Herod. Again, verses 7 through 9. Now Herod, the Tetrarch, heard about all that was going on. And he was perplexed because some were saying that John had been raised from the dead and others that Elijah had appeared. And still others that one of the prophets of long ago had come back to life. But Herod said, I beheaded John. Who then is this I hear such things about? And he tried to see him. But I don't have a lot of time to, to spend here. But like, I just want to note this. Right? Like, Herod tried to see Jesus. He was curious about Jesus. As we, as we seek to grow to be like Jesus and to reach people with the gospel and to serve others, like, it will bring about curiosity in who Jesus is. Like it, it did it for Herod here. But it's really important right, that we, we not confuse curiosity about Jesus with genuine faith in Jesus. Herod is curious about Jesus. But he will also eventually play a key role in having Jesus killed. There's a difference between someone being willing to listen to us as we tell them about Jesus and, and people who are actually following him. As we, as we seek to live out our mission, as we seek to tell people about Jesus, it can be easy to feel really good if someone just listens to us. They can be, be satisfied there. Maybe we had a good conversation. We tend to just be satisfied in that moment. Just, that, I do what I need to do. And that is a great first step. But if we really want to reach people with the gospel, we must not be content with curiosity or just a willingness to engage in conversation. We must invite people to truly give their life to Jesus, to place their faith in Him, to submit themselves to Jesus' teaching, and for them to begin the process of growing to be like Him themselves. 
Let's pray. Father, we, above all, we praise you for what you did through Jesus to make a way for us, though we are sinners who have fallen short of what you have called us to, to be made right with you, have our sins forgiven, to have our relationship with you restored so that we can look forward to eternity worshiping you in glory. Do we not lose sight of what you've done for us in Jesus? God, we thank you that you are at work in the life of each person here who has trusted in you to, to help us to grow into the image of Jesus, to conform us to the image of your Son. I pray that along with you working in us, our desire would be to grow more and more and that we would work toward growing to be like Jesus. That as we become more and more like Jesus, we would go out, we would seek to reach people with the gospel, we would desire to serve them. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. As you go from here, would you grow, go growing to be like Jesus? Would you go desiring to reach people with the gospel? Would you go with the desire to serve others? You are dismissed.
Stone is wrong.